Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to the Celtic Soul Podcast with me, Andrew Millen, and today on the show I'll be chatting to Eddie Tono, former General Secretary of the Celtic Supporters Association. This episode has been kindly sponsored by the Perth Celtic Supporters Club down in Australia. Thanks very much to all the Aussie-based Celts for their continued support of both the fanzine and now the podcast. If your business or Celtic Supporters Club would like to support the podcast, you can become a sponsor. Please email us for more information at info at celticfanzine.com and as always, you can contact us through the website or message us on social media, Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. As another year comes to the end, I have to say once again, fair play to all the Celtic fans who weren't found wanting when it came to raising money for charity from the start of the year right through the lockdown. So well done to all. Our last charity events were held in Thailand in March and hopefully with the vaccine we can now get back to live events next year and raising some much needed cash for special charities. Special mention to my own club, St Margaret's Celtic Supporters Club, for continuing to raise money throughout the lockdown, online and with virtual events, and the latest one being the Christmas card appeal. Well done to all. The spirit of Brother Walford lives on in the Celtic supporters throughout the world. Finally, we got the performance we all crave for last Sunday against Kilmarnock in the league. A good win and a good performance. The Celtic fans had gathered outside the stadium in the pouring rain to protest at the current running of the club ahead of this year's AGM, but they gave the players a warm and noisy welcome and Neil Lennon and the boys responded on the pitch. It was a professional performance. Hazard, Turnbull and Sorrow kept their starting places alongside the under-pressure Duffy, who looked comfortable in defending alongside a fully fit-looking Julian. And the Irishman also popped up at a trademark header to deliver a goal from a perfect corner from Turnbull. AR pushed out to the right of the defence and put in a man-of-the-match performance, with Taylor coming in for a rare start on the left. Lenny raised eyebrows after the game. When quizzed about the cup final lineup, he hinted he would be loyal to the players who got us there. Let's hope this is mine games and he sticks with a winning team and a winning formula. Off the pitch, the virtual AGM took place, which has been rehearsed over many years now, and another chance to tell us how well the board are doing in virtual reality. A weak chairman, an overpaid CEO, and a no-show from a major shareholder summed up the meeting for many shareholders who switched off that's the ones who even bothered to switch on. These AGMs are just so staged as the top table continue to backslap each other. Imagine an AGM where the small shareholders and the fans are listened to. Well, if we continue to back the Celtic Trust, that can become a possibility by joining the Trust or subscribing. From small acorns grow large oak trees. Eddie Toner was born in the shadow of Celtic Park and has always lived walking distance from the stadium. He is a former General Secretary of the Celtic Supporters Association and a regular at Celtic Home and Away Games, where he travels with the Denison number one Celtic Supporters Club. Hello, Eddie. You're very welcome to the Celtic Soul podcast. 
in the week that Selig have a chance to write themselves once again into history, but this time during a world health pandemic. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy times. Yeah, I'm so. Ah, it's, it's, who could have seen this coming? Nobody. We, maybe we couldn't have even seen a quadruple treble, Eddie. Yeah, absolutely. It's. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's really for me the treble treble was was a fantastic achievement and. You know, just just something I never dreamed about. When I was growing up, I mean, I, you know, I remember the early trebles, uh, uh, but never you know, wasn't really old enough to appreciate the '67 and '69 treble. And then, and then there was nothing really. But you know, in those days, the Hun seemed to win trebles fairly regularly. I remember them winning it in '76, I think, in '78, and uh, and just you know, it was always a bit of a holy grail then. So it was great when we did it in 2001, but. Uh, but then to do it three times in a row and now coming up four times in a row is just, just amazing. You know, it'll be some achievement. Let's hope we can get over the line on Sunday. And, you know, like a cup final without fans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah listen, that, that's destroying me at the moment. I mean, it's funny, we were out doing a bit of shopping today and normally in the lead up to the cup final, I'm, I buy an outfit for the cup final, as does Jeanette. We always go out and buy, like, and, you know, it's always something really green, you know, to wear in the cup final. I always get new clothes for the cup final and, and, and and I did. I bought a green sort of a shirt the day, and I said, but you no, know, my first cup final was in 1969. I've been at every Celtic one since, uh, so it, it's, it's heartbreaking. I had a few whiskeys last night, and I was saying to you, I think I'm going to try and go and sort of break into Hamden on Saturday night and secrete myself away in a corner. It'll be tough, but you know. And, and a strange time as well, Eddie. You know, we always look forward to a Scottish Cup final at the end of the season, and this is now, you know. Yeah, almost, almost at Christmas. No, absolutely. The, the Scottish Cup final this Sunday weekend before Christmas is just it's madness. But we just need to get over the line, you know. And we need to do what we have to do, and, and please God, we will, you know. So hopefully, yeah, we're all we're all hoping and praying. Um, Eddie, I've had a lot of guests on, I suppose, in recent times, and the, like your one, I kind of want to ask because a lot of public kids, you know, at, at work. A lot of people that work in the tourist industry, the hospitality industry, and I suppose you fit into that as as a, as a Glasgow cabbie. Now, how has how has COVID nineteen like affected you know, you as as you know and, and people that would walk in, in the trade that we kind of all oh, know so well? Listen, it's it's, it's devastated the trade. Uh, effectively, there's no business. I mean, I never for the first part of the the first lockdown, I was in the shielding category because I take some medication. Out messes up my immune system a bit and uh, so I was effectively you know shielding uh, so couldn't go to work uh, so I never worked at all between sort of March and for the first six months uh, I did no work at all I've, I've, I then looked around and, and, and took a wee office job uh, but I only lasted a week in the office job when you've worked for yourself for so long it's you just it's, it's very difficult to go back into that sort of a 95 environment uh, so I had to uh, I get that up. I just I tried it for a week and it just wasn't for me. It was a sort of call centre based, and you know I appreciated the, the chance of getting a wee job for the person that offered me, but it just wasn't for me. So, so I've been back on the road the last two weeks uh, on the taxi, but uh, there's no money. All I'm doing at the moment is, is covering my costs. You know, I'm not accumulating any any debt, which I was doing over the, the, the you know the previous six months because. You still go. Your outgoings are still there. Your overheads are still there. So you know, you've got to do your renew your licences. You've got to pay your insurance. You're paying your tax, your loan, all of that. Or, or you know, you're finding money for that every month. Uh, your radio dues. 
So I'm covering the cost now, but making nothing. You know, you're, and you're going out and maybe doing 10 hours, and if you're doing five five hires in those 10 hours, you're doing really well, you know. So it's just wiped it. The other thing it's done is it's wiped out the value of uh, the taxi plates as well. You know, one time, well, I paid £38,000 for my taxi plate, you know, maybe 11, 12 years ago. The moment they're changing hands for about 5000 now that was my pension pot. You know, I was looking, you know, hopefully going to, you know, we'd, we'd sell that at the point of the tyre and then and that would give me a wee bit of, you know, a wee bit of an nest egg for the go towards the pension. So that, that's gone. Uh, don't think it'll ever recover to those levels. Uh, so it's affected everyone. Uh, COVID's no missed any industry, really, but, uh, you know, the hospitality trade and, you know, and the taxi industry and, you know, uh, you know, it's it's effectively been wiped out at the moment. It's, it's, it's a tough shift, but. We just have to come out the other end of this, you know. We're surviving, you know, and we're, we're, we're getting by. And uh, yeah, it's 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 funny, Eddie. Like when, when I think of you know the black cab, I, I think a queue this time of the year. I think a queue in front of them, you know. And, absolutely, you know. De, you know, December is a month where you like to put a few quid in the bank, and it gets you over the winter. You know, December you make. You know, there's the Christmas parties, there's the shoppers, and everybody's going mad. You know, and uh, and, and, and and you know, and it's generally a boom time for for in the taxi trade, but. It's just not there. I mean, I, I was out Saturday about seven o'clock on Saturday morning until about seven o'clock on Saturday night, you know, and after you pay your fuel and you, you're, you're taking him 40, 50 quid, you know, it's it's nothing, you know. It's uh, Yeah, and you think, you think like, like Glasgow is such a, I suppose, tourist city and then you've, you, you've the football, you've the national yeah. stadium. You miss all of that. December as well is usually a busy time for concerts and stuff like that, the hydro and, you know, it's, there's usually something on every night there. There's usually big games. You just see the Champions League, you know, European football, you know. I must be up and down to the airport picking up, you know, the mates that are coming, whether it's the Galway boys or the Dubs or whatever, you know, I'm picking them up at the airports and dropping them up at the Arto for a few pre-match be- be- babies and stuff like that. And, you know, all, all of that, you know, you just, uh, you know, home home day, match day, I would normally be down the airport, you know, waiting on that first flight, coming in and picking up four or five guys, dropping them up the road, and then I would head home and go back out and meet the guys for a few pints later on. But, uh, so you, mean, you, you miss seeing people, you know, and... Yeah. Uh, and the big thing, although things have eased a bit, you know, they've opened up the, the retail again and the shops are open at the moment. So there are a few shoppers around, but you can't travel between, you know, sort of a health board areas. So nobody, anybody out with Greater Glasgow is not supposed to be travelling into Glasgow to do their shopping. So if you live in Falkirk, for instance, you're supposed to do your shopping in Falkirk and stuff like that. So, so there's nothing coming off the trains at the stations. There's very little coming off at the bus stations. I've been at the airport once in six months and that was only to pick my son up. So there was no money in that for me either. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and the bizarre thing about that is, is that the, the airport authorities and their wisdom decided to whack a hundred percent increase into the, the fee. It was two normally two pounds and you go in and pick pick up a drop off at the airport, but I've doubled it. It's now four quid. So it's a bit of a double whammy. I can't believe it when I get down there. I it actually cost me four quid to go and pick somebody up. You know? <laughs> so, but hopefully Eddie now we've had a little bit of news about vaccines. Um, and hopefully like if they can get the vaccines in that you know I like I'm not I'm not looking towards this season but I'm definitely looking towards getting back to some kind of normality next season. I really hope so. Yeah, I mean, I understand that there are some talks going on behind the scenes at the moment. We have you trying to get some fans in this season. And uh, I know Celtic have been, you know, banging the drum about that, you know, even limited numbers in, you know, and trial bases and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I don't know at which stage that's at now. So I wouldn't be surprised if we do get some guys in this season. Uh, 
but that, that, that itself just presents a completely different headache, you know, you know, for who, who, who gets in and who doesn't get in and who do you pick and all that sort of stuff. And I've clearly did a bit of work about who's in your household and stuff like that. I mean, I had a bit of a laugh uh, during the lockdown. I, I remember one day sitting at the back giving a few drinks and decided just to start winding some people up on Twitter, you know, and I was going on about, you know, well, it should really just be people who live a corner kick away for Celtic Park with a postcode and stuff like that. And, and I was getting pelters and I was winding guys up. Particularly, I knew some of the Irish guys would come in and go on about, oh, the sacrifices we make. And I was like, oh, he's generally fully Man United and Liverpool over there anyway. You can go there. So I was having a bit of a laugh about it, you know, saying, well, it would be safer just to let the locals in, you know, people who live in a G40 postcode or a G32 or whatever. And, and I kept the whole thing going for days and, and I was really reeling some people in. Some people were getting really... I think most people seen that I was having a bit of a laugh. I wouldn't like to... I have to say, Eddie, I've seen, uh, I've seen a few comments on, on um, Twitter and I've said, he's at... Ah. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was sitting having a beer enjoying the sunshine out the back, you know, and just... And I, 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 we were just having a good laugh because some people were really taking it serious and going mad. And who the fuck do you think you are? Excuse the language, but who, who, who's she deciding who's getting into park getting or is, I remember someone put out as well, Eddie. Someone put out um, it was anyone in the corporate hospitality boxes would, would mm. be getting in, you know. And this was yeah, just yeah, yeah. way back before it was even discussed. Yeah, yeah. Straight away it was. And I was going, oh, absolutely. Like, Mental someone, stuff. Keep it just, you know. And then and then it grows like you know like yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we put up a sarcastic piece on the website. We got a lot of complaints about it, right? Which is fair enough. People you know don't see the funny side of stuff, but it, like people on Twitter were going, "Is this true?" Like, and it was basically about Peter Lawa being kidnapped by four fans, <laughs> you know. And like, like, and then like the yeah, go check your back room because Jeanette's disappeared. Maybe that's what he is. It was just and it, like it got a huge readership, but at the same time, it was just. Everything was just so heavy at the time, Eddie. It just wanted yeah, to throw a light. Yeah, you know, yeah, light yeah, yeah. I mean, people take it a bit too serious sometimes, don't well, they? When people know? were you know, messaging us, is this true? We kind of went, right, well, we need to put, you know, maybe say it's not, you know. <laughs> no, maybe we would be questioned for, for kidnapping right. Peter. But anyway, Eddie, um, it, it was great to hear about, you know, the, I suppose the walking man on the street in Glasgow and how it's affected him because, you know, anyone that travels regularly, see this, you know, see how the, the Glasgow walks, especially on a match day, and the, I suppose the money that brings into the city. Oh, folks, absolutely, it's huge. Know, and, and it's funny, it, I've been following the, you know, McCool's done a, a crowdfunder to save the bar, and I was following that and the support they were getting, and, like, I always remember having a chat with Nicky, and at that time there was stuff in the newspapers complaining about the Celtic Rangers match and trouble it brought to the city, and you know, people couldn't go shopping and the, the shops are losing money. And, that. and Nick had said to me, that's a load of bullies. So he said, the money that's generated by that game alone, he says, oh, bars, hotels, travel industry, he says, everything is... And he, he's just put it so simple. He said, we'll take on extra staff, maybe students to work that weekend. They'll get a couple of quid, he says. They won't be saving that money. No. He said, they'll be going out to buy a new dress or, you know, a new T-shirt or buy records or whatever they, they spend their money on, or go for a buy decent. So whenever, when the game is over, there's a knock-on effect, there's a knock-on effect with the shops getting, you know, a bill. So. Oh, there is. And, and, and the big thing about it is, I mean, the football particularly is massive. But interestingly, again, you, there's a real difference between, I think, what's generated the economy between us and what Rangers bring, to be honest. I think that the city is certainly busier 
uh, with Celtic are playing Europe and, and, and there's more going on in terms of the hotels and flights and stuff. And I think there are reasons for that. I think I think we attract people from further afield, more people from further afield, whereas, you know, Rangers pretty much drawn in, in, on their, most of their support travelling by buses or even the ones who come from Ireland, they would come in the boat, if you like, because they're all centred in the north, they're all based in the north, but most of them probably Belfast. And, uh, so they're away again. And so the hotels are not as busy, you know, for a couple of... When Celtic are playing in the Champions League at home, the town is busy for two or three nights, you know, we, because the hotels are full, the flights are coming in. You know, the day after it, you know, the taxis are going to be busy running guys up and down at the airport. I'm generally in the pub then that day, right enough. I don't see get cash in then, but because uh, I usually meet the guys after the day after and we go for a few beers. But I would be arranging taxis for guys to get them back down to the airport and stuff like that. And uh, uh, so you, I, I think there is a real difference in terms of what it brings to the economy. But, you know, when it's a Celtic Rangers game, then it's boom time you, and you feel like you know you get a sense of it about the Thursday Friday right through the whole weekend and right through into the Monday so yeah. I bet things where it's big money and it's funny I, I, I remember posting something on LinkedIn um, and someone commented and contacted me saying that this was for business and I shouldn't be and I said do you not do you not know the money that the money that is in the football business, you know, you know, it's a sport, but the money it brings in the economy is like, like I'm sure any city would would, would love a Celtic in it. Yeah, oh, without a doubt, and and you know, in that regard, the city is fortunate that it's two massive clubs. You know, uh, you know, it's, 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 but I, I I don't catch anything. But as I say, I'm not normally off when the football's on, and so it's, I don't benefit from it. But my colleagues do, that's for sure. No. I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, stay, stay in the city. Obviously, I haven't been in the city since last March, so I've been forced to watch games on TV on my sofa. And uh, you know, I was happy, I was happy Sunday because it was a good performance. And following on from a good performance on Thursday night, plenty of new blood in there and hungry blood. Yeah. And, and it, was, it was a bit more enjoyable in recent weeks because it's been so poor in recent weeks. But there was also uh, the protest before the game, Eddie, uh, and. I suppose it turned into a protest of support, really. And it was good to see something organised, although people were against it, because I wouldn't object to anyone protesting that. But for me, you know, if we can organise protest, it always, you know, it's much better than just turning up and rattling a few barriers or setting a few people or following the bus or whatever. And I said it on the podcast recently, if I was 16 or 17, I would find this exciting. But as I got older, I prefer if, you know, if the protest is organised. And it was on Sunday. You were there on Sunday, Eddie. Can you just... Well, well, I wasn't, because I have a confession to me. I wasn't really entirely in favour of the protest. There was a bit of a split in this household. Uh, oh. I, was, I, I wasn't down on Sunday. Uh, I, I, I could understand uh, the logic behind organising the protest. Personally, I thought there should have been a protest this morning outside the park on the day of the AGM. I would like to have kept it away for you. For match day, and for me, the focus has got to be on the football on a match day. And, and given the, the the importance of this season uh, and the need now for us to be winning almost every game, I would I, I would have rather we hadn't had the protest. But to be fair, and uh, the, the officers of the trust, uh, they pulled it off, they turned it around, and, and, and the logic behind it was basically they knew there was going to be a protest on Sunday. There was always going to be a protest. There had been a couple of protests previous to that where the narrative was all negative. It was being run by the press and, and uh, you know, and, and, and there was a lot of mud getting slung and, you know, and a lot of exaggerated them. So I don't really know exactly what happened. But uh, 
But here it was nothing like how it was portrayed. So given that we knew there was going to be a protest on Sunday, the thinking was, let's organise it, let's try and control it. Uh, so there was some then some discussion between the trust and the club officials and the police. Uh, you know, there was definitely the liaison about that. Uh, we have you saying, you know, we, we would rather, if there's going to be a protest that was organised and, and it was COVID compliant as best as it could be and all of that sort of stuff. And I think there was a bit of relief probably amongst the certainly the cops and, and probably some of the club officials that that was happening. Uh, so, yeah. I think Thursday night's result helped as well. You know, there was a, you know, a spirited performance on Thursday after the misery, you know, the last, you know, couple of months. And, uh, and I think that sort of turned the focus on a wee bit, you know, and, you know, people were saying, well, you know, let's make sure that... The last thing they wanted was to have a protest that was going to coincide with the players arriving. Uh, now, I know for a fact that the Trust spoke uh, to Ronnie Hawthorne uh, at Celtic about that. Uh, and we're told that there wasn't any problem uh, in with our time and having a, having a protest at one o'clock and that's why they went for that now when Jeanette was telling me about that conversation I was quite surprised at that because I was saying well you know the team normally arrive in about half past one uh, in a match day you know because I'm usually down in about the park early in a match day and so well maybe maybe it's a bit different now because of Covid maybe they're Certainly she seemed to be giving the impression that the players were going to be in and well in before any protest kicked off. But as it transpired, that wasn't the case because the police then contacted them to say, you know, you realise that the bus comes in at half one and she'll have confirmed that. And, mm-hmm. So they were able to turn that round and say, well, you know, let's let's have a bit of show of support uh, for the team, you know. And, mm-hmm. and I've seen the videos of it, you know, it wasn't there on Sunday, but... Uh, and I seen Shane Duffy referring to it as well about it giving him goosebumps, uh, you know, when he got off the bus and heard that level of support and cheering for them and stuff like that. So I think they pulled it off. I think they were able to make their points very clearly about where they are in terms of their opposition to how the club is structured and the, the ownership of the club and, you know, and, and, and made their protest about the PLC structure and all that sort of stuff while showing support for, for, for the team in the park. So I, I think. All in all, it was a it was a big success uh, for the trust, and, and and hopefully, hopefully the players got a bit of a lift for it as well. And you know, you just have to look at it but again. It was a much better performance than what we've seen of late. So uh, you know, it was win win, uh, and, and it turned out. Good. I mean, Jeanette got back in time for it. He watched the match back in the house and was completely soaked. You know, so. You know, it was a horrible, miserable day for it. But, you know, there was a fair old crowd in there. I mean, one of the other reasons I never went, you know, I'm a great believer in democracy. So, although, although I was opposed to the idea of having, having the protest on a match day, you know, the consensus was that we're going to do it. So I probably would have, I didn't stay away just because I didn't agree with it. I mean, the big thing for me was the, the COVID thing. And because I had been shielding and stuff like that, I didn't want to put myself in the middle of sort of a, you know, a large crowd and we had no idea how many people were going there. So I, I, I primarily stayed away because of that. I didn't want to run the risk of being in the centre of the, a large gathering, you know, whether it had been two metres distance, COVID compliant and all that. But, but I think it was a success. I think it was a real success for the Trust and it showed that, you know, it showed you, you know, despite all the negativity around about, you know, our fans and all the other shower and heads and all this, that and the next thing. You know, they're far from it. You know, the, the, the groups that organised and supported that protest are, 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 are well run, they're well organised and well focused. And, uh, uh, and, and I think, again, that was displayed yesterday. So, 
and fair play to him. Well, I'm disappointed, Danny, that you didn't get the high vis out. <laughs> oh, I can just see you with the newspaper the wrecking everything. Yeah, me and high vis vest don't go don't, don't go on well, I don't think. And it was good. It was good, Eddie, as well that like the players responded then on the pitch. Yes, you know, yeah. the first half maybe a bit. You know, I thought they defended well. You know, played it safe, but then the second half. And just... Yeah, there, there, there seems to be more of a purpose about the team at the moment again, you know, they seem to be a bit more compact and they, they seem to want to get the ball up the pitch quicker and stuff like that as well and we need a settled defence one of the big problems with our door season is our defence has been chopping and changing and being all over the place and, and for me the two centre-backs I've played in the last two games have to be our two centre-backs, you know I think Duffy still has a chance I know a lot of people wrote him off very early but I think he's an out-and-out -out defender I think the big thing for Duffy when he arrived at Celtic was that he's probably never played in a team like that because he's always maybe been at teams where he's had to defend and defend and defend. Uh, and, and and I think he's good at that. Uh, I think Duffy's a penalty box defender. Uh, but we need to do that now. We need to get back to the basics. Uh, you know, and, and, and I think him and Julian going forward are, are probably our best two central defenders. I like to look at Turnbull. Turnbull looks like a real find. Uh, seems to bring something to the team. He can certainly deliver a ball into the box. Uh, something will be missing. And again, when you've got guys like Julian and, and, and Duffy getting up for set pieces and stuff, they're always going to be a threat in the opposition box as well. Soro looks an accomplished enough player. He looks well organised. He can read the game very well. Is it a replacement for Scott Brown? Time will tell, but... Uh, he certainly not looked out of place in the last two games. So I guess it's a bit of hope. We've got to be taking it one game at a time at the moment, yeah. really, and just try to get a bit of momentum going. And You know, if it's not to be this season, and we're not going to win the league, and I'm no, I'm no giving up, uh, you know, there's a long way to go in this season. There's a lot of points to play for. Uh, but I don't want us to relinquish this title easily. You know, if somebody wants to take their title, they're going to have to fight us for it, you know, and they're going to need to win it. Uh, we can't surrender it in December, that's for sure. Uh, oh, no, that's for sure. Yeah, I I wouldn't have saw a lot of Shane Duffy with Brighton, but I would have seen a lot of him with Ireland. From he from he came into the team, he's kind of been the mainstay in the team since maybe the Italian game of the Euros. And but one thing is different at Celtic: the fullbacks in Ireland, you know, would give them more. They would have had more support. I I, I found early in the season that the centre the centre halves were exposed by the fullbacks being so far up. The I top, the pitch. You know, and I just thought, you know. Is is this is this like is he used to this? Because uh, as you say, defender. I've seen Shane defend, and I've seen him. I've seen him score as well with the head for the national team. So I think there's a player in there, and you know he's played in the Premier League. Hopefully, we we now see the best of him. And I do think you're right about the Julian. And Julian looks fit now. He would have been a regular at the AGM. This one was a virtual one. How did how did you look upon this one? I uh, I never logged into the AGM today. It's the first time since I bought my shares in '94 that I decided the AGM didn't really have much interest for me. Uh, I've come to the conclusion that the AGM is really just it's a vanity project. It's it's, it's backslapping for them all to tell them all how well they're doing and and by all accounts, for what I can gather, it you know was focusing very much on the successes of last season and stuff like that. And fair enough, you know, quite right to talk that up, but. Uh, I loved going along at AGM back in the day because I, I can always remember being outside the AGMs and protesting during the sort of sales for change stuff and stuff like that. I mean, you know, used to lobby AGMs and, and I always remember thinking that these shares have become available. 
I'm going to buy them because I want to be inside there and I want to see, you know, at the table and I want to be, to be able to ask questions and have a bit of a voice. And, and and over the years, I've exercised that sort of right to get up and, you know, questions at various EGMs. Uh, but I've, I've become more and more sort of a, used to the idea that it is just a vanity project. It is. I don't feel any more connected now with the club than I did prior to the change in 84, if you like, you know, I feel probably every bit as much disenfranchised uh, despite being a shareholder. You know, we have our biggest sort of a single shareholder doesn't even bother turning up for the AGMs anymore. He's not even interested. Uh, and it's it's just a backslapping exercise, to be honest. And it's, uh, you know, we have a guy who's a chairman who I have no confidence in whatsoever, who, who makes a bit of mockery the whole thing as well to be honest and so I, I didn't really fall it to any great extent like probably like most fans I was picking up snippets here and there on Twitter but uh, but the fact that you couldn't actually go up and ask questions this would probably have been one of the most the feistiest CGMs in a long long time had had the punters been allowed in and it probably would have went to that you know had that been the format for the day but the whole idea where they sent questions in and they were going to vet whose questions were being asked and all that sort of stuff that's all this is a waste of time, you know, but so, so no, I get it, I missed the day. Yeah, it didn't hold any attraction for me whatsoever. Yeah, it, it, it's funny, Michael would normally go for the fans in and, but over the years, even, even not this year, over the years, the interest of people even going to the AGM just seemed to, seemed to die away and now, and I've seen a few comments on, on social media and that today, but it didn't, it wasn't really, like, it's not, there's not any more debate debate around the AGM, but it was just like... You know, in recent times, it's been stage managed more and more to, you know, to, to suit the board's agenda, if you like, to suit the PLC's agenda. Uh, you know, they would handpick who was getting up to the mics and who was asking questions and stuff like that. And to be honest, they love people who stayed away for the real issues, you know. Uh, so, you know, there were people getting up talking about the price of the pies and the availability of sort of a hot bovro and hot water in the toilets and all this sort of stuff. And, and they loved all that because it meant people then when they asking them about, you know, corporate governance and how the club was run and, and the relationship with the SFA like, and the Resolution 12 stuff. And, you know, these guys want to get the opportunity, you, you know, to push their agenda, if you like, because they were quite happy to to stage manage the AGM and, and you know, and I think people people started to see it for for what it was worth, really, as I say, you know, I've said that a couple of times now. It's, it's really just a vanity project. And given that today's when there was nobody in at all and all questions had to be submitted by email sort of a weeks in advance, there was never going to be any proper debate, you know. There wasn't any apparently any real focus on you know what's happened to us this season, how the wheels have you know came off the bus so early in the season and stuff like that. It was all talking up last week and, and focusing on Sunday and the quadruple treble. And these are magnificent achievements, but you know you can't hide the fact that you know there are problems and and and, and problems and they need to address those problems and they need to communicate how they're going to address those problems. Uh, with us as the fans, but that, you know that's probably another debate. Uh, so no, I, I really the AGM just didn't excite me at all, and I'm not sure whether whether I'll go back to any, in, in, you know, in, in the coming years either. Now I don't know if it's maybe broke the mold for me. You know, I've been everywhere since 1994, 95, or whatever it was. Uh, but no, it held no interest for me. You said that you've been to the AGM for from the 90s so long, and. Eddie, you you go back to you were born into a Celtic family, unlike yourself. 
you know, living, I suppose, close to the stadium and that. Can can you take the listeners back to growing up Glasgow and your early memories of Celtic? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, yeah, I was. I was born in Belvedere Hospital, which is just off the London Road there. Uh, well, it was off the London Road. It's gone now, yeah, just next to where the Celtic Club was. And so literally a corner kick away for Celtic Park. That's where I was born. Uh, I've stayed in the East End all my life. Uh, never I can walk for you my house to Celtic Park in probably half an hour. Um, and I stayed in Dennis and I could walk it in less than half an hour. Uh, I've always been close to the ground. And, uh, but I was fortunate. I was born into a Celtic family and, 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 and my family all worked at the park when I was growing up as a kid as well. My grandfather was the head groundsman at Celtic Park uh, for the 1950s right through to the... To, 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 in the late seventies, uh, so he was he was the head groundsman there in the in the great days of the sixties and the early seventies. So I was born into that. I spent a lot of time as a kid in and out the park, and sort of I took it for granted. You know, we we would go down on a Sunday, and as kids be allowed to run about in the park while you know my granddad was tidying up and stuff like that. And uh, the, my my granny and granddad lived. Uh, in the flats just along at Helen Vale Street there, just you know overlooking the stadium. So the family would all gather there on a match day. My granny would be making his all pieces and soup and stuff like that. It'd be aunties and uncles would travel. Uh, it would be a big crowds there, and then we would all be off to the game. And so I was brought up in that. Uh, but I was also fortunate. It was at the time when Celtic were up amongst, whether they were up there as the, you know, with the kings of Europe. You know, they were they were probably were most successful period ever. So you know, I was born in 1963. So when I was four, Celtic were the champions of Europe. But you know. But regularly, right up until 1974, you know, we were getting to the last four of the European Cup and, you know, fond memories of being at the Milan game and the penalty kicks where they did. When Dixie unfortunately blasted the ball over the bar, I have a real memory of being at the, the, the 1974 European Cup semi-final when Atletico Madrid kicked us off the pitch and... Uh, and we were very, very close to winning certainly more than one European Cup. I think the 74 team in particular, funny enough, I was talking to Jeanette about this the, the other week. Uh, I think the 74 team had a real chance uh, and were very unlucky the way that, I, you know, we were effectively robbed of that because Atletico Madrid did kick us off the park and wouldn't allow us to play football uh, at Celtic Park. And, and uh, uh, I always felt for that team because what we had in that team was, was still... The bones, if you like, it has been lying. So, you, you know, all the big names for that team are still there. But we had emerging talent. So, you, you know, you had Davey Hay, you had Kenny O'Gleish, you, you know, I think Lou McCarry coming through there. And other guys, guys like Brian McLaughlin, that I can remember as a young kid breaking into the team and thinking, what a player he is. And unfortunately, an injury ended his career earlier. And so I was brought up in the days uh, where I expected Celtic to be in the last, you know, the, the later stages of, you know, you know, I was looking forward to Celtic winning European Cups on a regular basis. Uh, so I was, you know, was brought up in that, but spent a lot of time as a kid in the park as well. And then I, be, I became a ball boy at Celtic Park as well because my granddad worked there and got his, he got us in, 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 into that role. And uh, and I loved it because you were running out the tunnel, you know, with big, you know, just in front of Big Bully, you know. And, uh, you know, this was in the early 70s, as I say, when they were all superstars and, you know, he got that sense of running out the tunnel, you know, the devils that were playing Rangers at the big European nights and the wall of noise and, you know, it just gripped me, you know, and you know, so it was always going to be Celtic for me. It could never have been anybody else. Uh, 
but but I was really fortunate. I was blessed as a kid that you know the, my grandfather was very 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 friendly and close to Jockstein. You know, would he be unknown to be doing at the park and you know, big job be floating about and rubbing your head and stuff like that and saying, how you doing, young fella, and all that sort of stuff. And you just took it all for granted. Uh, you just, you just, you were there and, you know, I've never been in awe of any superstars, to be honest, because I just took it for granted. You know, you would be seeing me, Jimmy, coming and going and uh, used to get a laugh with guys like Jimmy Steele, you know, he used to get a real laugh when he was doing the part. He used to come in on a Sunday and clear out all the pie stalls with all the unused unused pies and stuff like that and feed them to his horses and stuff like that, you know, and you, you would go and give him a horn with doing things like that and he just took it all for granted. I, you know, I was just always, we were always about the place. My family all worked there, my man, that boy, they all worked in the pie stalls. My granny was a cleaner. I remember a great story and before the tour guides now, I remember when we had my granny's 80th birthday party in one of the lounges at Celtic Park. She would, she was still around, probably about 104 now, my granny, but... Uh, we had our 80th night there and, and part of the, the deal was we, we booked a meal and stuff like that and one of the sort of a sweets and the whole family were there and part of the deal was that they were going to give a tour to the stadium and and there was a guy there who, you know, preceded the current tour guides. Uh, probably it was nothing like, and it looks like a real professional slight operation these days, but the boy was showing him around. My granny was following around and she, he was trying to explain to my granny about this is the coronation cup when we won this by doing this and this is, this, you know, all the different... And my granny eventually says, listen, son, I used to polish them all before they were born, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, you know, the wee guy was doing his best, but but all these things we just took for granted, you know, sort of fun memories of growing up. And I, we, we're a big Celtic family. Funny enough, it was my, it's my own mother's birthday today. She's 83 today, so we had her out for a bit of breakfast this morning. Uh, and she still has a season ticket at 83 years of age. You know, she still gets to every home game. And, you know, in this season, she's missing it as much like the rest of you. She, she really misses because it's a place where we meet as a family. You know, we all gather outside of... The men stand there, we all sit together, you know, and uh, so in any given match day, you know, 15 minutes, half an hour before kick-off, we all start and it's aunties and uncles and my sister and my cousin and well, it would have been my young brother back in the day, but sadly he's no longer with us. But uh, So I, it's a big thing for us and Jeanette's family's the same, they sit in the same section as the stand, Jeanette and her sister and it used to be her old man as well, God rest them. Uh, so I, it's what we do as a family, uh, Celtic is our thing. Uh, and we really miss it this season more. You know, it's, it's tough. But, uh, and Eddie, if I go forward or back with the family, is the family Irish connection? Yeah, yeah, going back. Uh, so, so about it, my great grandparents. So, so we have connections in Sligo and connections in Donegal. And uh, and my grandfather, the guy, Huey Dockery, who was a ground, he was a Dockerty. Uh, his family were from Tyrone, they were from Straban. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Aye, both my mother and father side, you know, you would go back to great, probably second or third generation. Uh, but aye, huge Irish connection. So when we were growing up, you know, how, uh, we, the talk in our house, uh, the, you know, the New Year parties would have been, you know, doing a bit Celtic and, and then when the drink got flowing, the singing would have been, it would have been Irish songs that were sung, you know, and... Uh, at the house parties when we were all kids and, the, you know, the uncles and aunties would be, they would all have their favourite song, but it would have been songs like Sean South and Kevin Barry and, you know, and all of these. Hi, so huge Irish connection, yes. It's funny, Eddie, before you even mentioned the sing songs, I could picture the flat overlooking 
you know, the stadium and a good sing song in there and a few drinks. Yeah, it's absolutely. just funny. It's just the, the way I, I pictured it and you've just described it as that. Then moving forward a little, Eddie, you couldn't stay a ball boy all your life. You had to grow up. <laughs> so so when did you when did you become active kind of as, you know, an active fan within I was travelling to away games from a very young age. Uh, so I you know I was fortunate, blessed again, as I say, because of the connections at Parkhead. I would go with my mum. I could have went to the football with either my ma or my dad. Uh, but I chose to go with my ma because I always got a seat in the stand when I went with my ma. You know, she, they, would, they would work in the pie store on the main stand. I would go down early and basically get a picky seat. If you went with your dad, you were left standing outside the boozer at like five to three, and then, you know, and then you were rushed in at the last minute and thrown over the turnstile, and uh, and then you had to then take a place in the terrace, and you know, and uh, so I, I chose the comfort at a very early age. You got me with my mother, but always better seats, and uh, <laughs> and my granddad. We, we, we got, I got in for nothing, you know. I, I don't mind admitting that, you know. My granddad would get us in. Uh, we used to get in this sort of a police gate, which is just to the right of the sort of what was this, the main stand in the. And where the Rangers end is now, uh, we used to get in there and then make our way up into the stand. And uh, so, uh, and did you get a free pie? Oh, I, I got a free pie as well. That's how when people used to say, you know, the crowds were all manipulated. It looked as if there was like eighty thousand there, and then they would they would announce. 26,000 official attendance. Probably was all my cousins all getting for nothing. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, no, so I was going to the matches for a very young kid. I never missed a game for I was about five or six at Celtic Park. I've probably, you know, I could count. I've missed 10 games at Celtic Park in all days. I've been doing well. I got nothing like it, probably. Uh, but I started travelling to away games when I was at secondary school. Uh, and I would go on the local buses. And, you know, guys like Jim Ward and Easter House, who I've got a lot of respect for Jim. And Jim's a well-known. Everybody knows Jim. Uh, I would travel. Jim ran the buses in Easter House and I would travel with his buses. And then there was another bus started in Easter House uh, for a pub called The Swint. And I started going with them because uh, they were a bit more rebellious. And I was drawn into that and attracted to that. Jim ran a tight ship, you know. Uh, uh, but but taught, taught me a lot further down the line in terms of, you know, fan active you know, being a, an activist uh, to support Jim, but I certainly learned a lot from him. But. So I joined a Celtic supporters bus very young. Uh, I remember we called Doggin School. Uh, you know, basically my ma thought I was at school and I went away on the football special to Burnley in 1978 for the Anglo-Scottish Cup game. And uh, I basically went to school in the morning and left about 11 o'clock to get in and catch the train to Burnley and never had to help my ma. And I uh, phoned her for the station and... Burnley to say, well, we didn't have a phone, so I'd had to phone a neighbour to say, tell my ma that I'm, I'm actually just off the train, I'm going to Burnley and I'm getting the train home, I'll not be home about three in the morning. And she says, well, I think your man knows where you are and your dad knows as well and you're in big trouble when you get home. So I, I would have been, <laughs> I'd have been sort of 15 then, I think that was 1978. So, so I, in a way then, I was a ball boy up until around about that time. Uh, and I would still be a ball boy the new, to be honest. If I have the tracksuit still fitted me and they let me because I loved that. But, uh, but uh, at 16, I joined my first Celtic supporters bus. I'm a great believer in the supporters club movement, I feel like, you know, in terms of how they, they were organised and stuff like that. So I joined a club in Easter House. But then we moved to Denison when I was 18. Uh, and and that, that's when I joined the Denison uh, number one club. Uh, 
and travelled there, you know, for a, for a few years, and then sort of it was very friendly with the guys that were running it. Uh, boy called Les Wilson and another fella, Chris Harvey, God rest him. He's no longer with us either, and got quite pally with him. And I was sort of a, encouraged by them to get involved in running the club. Uh, so after a few years we decided to start running buses to the European away games and stuff like that. So we, the Denison always ran a bus to every away, domestic away game. That was basically what they did. We don't run buses to Celtic Park, obviously, because it's it's a stone's throw away. Uh, so but we ran them. Now, in those days, from about 1980 onwards, I started travelling abroad following Celtic in Europe, and it was going in buses like with guys like Jim Ward. Or we, I remember going once to Amsterdam with a bus for Yoker Mill, Yoker Mill CSE, and... So we decided, I think our first trip was maybe Dortmund. Uh, myself and Chris decided to run a bus to one of the, the first game in Dortmund. So I'm not sure when that was, maybe 87, something like that. And then we ran buses to places like Cologne and Bremen and, you know, basically every most away games in Europe after that. So, And then, you know, I, I was sort of sucked into the committee of Denison. Uh, Chris, I think, after 86... Stepped down for the committee and I took on sort of a, a you know a committee role at that point uh, and I've been involved ever since really as a committee member of the Dennis and I also then became a delegate uh, for the Dennis and Supporters Club to the Supporters Association uh, so we would go along at that time you know the delegates meetings were organised every month uh, very well organised very well attended there could have been you see 400 supporters clubs represented by delegates at meetings and it used to be in the, in the wee sort of a supporters association hall uh, just at the back of the Rangers end there uh, and then they would have them in places like St Mungo's School if they get you know, if, uh, if they needed a bigger venue or in the Celtic Club in London Road so I started getting along to them and getting involved in the association uh, and they were always fairly robust affairs and there was always a good difference of opinion and stuff like that uh, leading right up to sort of a 94. Now, it's well documented that the guys at that time who were running the association were big supporters of the old board, no doubt about it. Uh, the Sales for Change movement was on the go at the time. I didn't throw my hat in the ring with them. I did support their object- objectors. I went to other meetings and I turned up at other demonstrations and stuff like that. But I was a great believer that, you know, if there was fans wanting to affect change, it should have been done in an organised, structured way and it should come through the association. So there was people like myself and Joe O'Rourke at the time as well uh, who were sort of trying to push the, the association to get involved and lead the sort of a, the change, uh, the, the, the push for change and, 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 and have a go at the old board. But we were in the minority then, you know, there were debates, there was, there was some fairly robust debates, uh, I remember leading up to that, but the old guard, if you like, always seem to carry the vote uh, for, for, for various reasons, confidence in the chairman of Celtic at the time. And I remember George Delaney was the secretary of association at the time. And he stood down, I think, at that time as general secretary because he wouldn't write the letter on behalf of the association, if, if, if my memory serves me right. Uh, so I took the view at that time that I thought that changes, well, as well as changing the club, there was also change needed in the association. Uh, and I remember a couple of years after, uh, you know, after Fergus came along and stuff like that, getting involved with people like Brendan Sweeney, who, who I really admire. I think he's, he, you know, find a better Celtic man anywhere on the planet than Brendan. The man bleeds Celtic. A uh, lot of respect for what Brendan done in the sales for change stuff. Uh, got involved with guys like Mark Burke, 
uh, who, who, who was on the sort of a, on the scene as well with the association at the time, and if Podry were members of the, uh, uh, the association, uh, and we decided that we would try and make a play to try and steer the association doing a more sort of a democratic route, if you like, and be more representative of the fans, you know, and stuff like that. So so I got involved with a group of years. I think at the time there was six years. There was myself and Brendan. There was Mark Bur- Albert McCready, Fenev Podrig as well, was involved in that group. Uh, Joe Rook. Uh, and another boy for Brendan's club, Harry. I can't remember Harry's second. About six years anyway, decided to, to stand for positions on the Executive Committee of the Association. And we did a fair bit of lobbying and, and we took it serious. Uh, we, we contacted all the clubs, we wrote to them all, we explained what it was we were all about. And at the AGM of the association, five of us got elected. And it caused a bit of consternation because it meant that five of the existing uh, committee members of the like association then had to leave. They were voted off. And some of these guys had been there a long time and then some of them had done a decent job, to be honest. But uh, but that was just the nature of it. That's how democracy works. So it was a sort of a change in the regard, if you like. So we then spent a bit of time trying to make a move, if you like, for the office bearers' positions at the association. Uh, and, and, and we came up again again some opposition for, for the incumbents. But after about a year, maybe one season, uh, we did get elected and uh, I became general secretary. Uh, Joe became an office bearer and we, we, we held the main positions and, and we tried to steer the association and down a road that it would have been much more accountable. My vision at that time, and, and it was shared by guys that I like to mark and stuff like that, were that we were going to try and make a play of pulling all the associations together. I have a great belief that a united Celtic support, if you like, can be a formidable force, a really formidable force. So at that time, you know, there was different groups representing different interests through the fans. So, you know, you had the affiliation, you had the Irish associations, you had the Donegal Association, you know, di- different groups of like. It was a bit fragmented. I, I would love to have seen us all coming together under one umbrella. And and we've made some moves into trying to make that happen, you know, through things like having joint working group meetings with Celtic where we would all be represented at the one time and... Uh, and, and I thought at that time the idea was is that we could do that and show there was enough confidence in is doing things going forward. Then we might have by default off it fell under the umbrella of being a, you know one big organisation. But for some reason it never ever happened. People had their you know people had their constituencies if you like that they were representing. Uh, uh, and, and and there was always a bit of an unwillingness I think amongst some to for us all to throw their hats in the ring together. And and, and I think. It worked better we're under some of the chief executives. I remember Alan McDonald being quite supportive of that idea. Ian McLeod was probably quite supportive of it as well. But when Peter Lowell came along, Peter Lowell liked, I think, the idea of meeting individual groups separately rather than it was all together and stuff like that. For Again, you know, he would need to explain his reasons for that. But maybe he felt he could influence them a bit more on their own than he could collectively. I don't know. But, uh, so it never really came. My idea to try to pull everybody together after pushing it for a, for a number of years never really came about. So I suppose I was a wee bit dispirited by that. Uh, and by that time, the trust had come on the scene as well. And and, and I think the trust were an organisation. I thought that there is a real vehicle, if you like, for exactly that idea, for being able to pull all the fans. They were, they were set up for, you know, properly, you know, they were they were regulated. They, they, they had the legal mechanism for for 
basically running and owning the club, if you like. And I thought, well, so I started to take a bit more interest in what the trust were doing rather than what the association was doing, if you like. Now, I'm still a, still a member of the Supporters Association and my club will always be as long as the association exists. I, mean, I was a great believer in, in, in that structure and how the association went. But times have changed. You know, the association's stronghold was in running buses. That's effectively what they are. Uh, as were the affiliation. Uh, and, but how fans now travel to games has changed. Uh, how fans are structured in terms of the supporters' association network probably changed as well. How they communicate with the club. You know, all of that changed post-Fergus. So I... I, I I saw a bit of frustration that I think with the association did they move with the times, if you like. They didn't embrace the change, if you like, and, and we're still sort of stuck under that sort of a old system that they operated since they were formed in, I think, 1944 or something like that. Uh, so I, I took Mary a bit of an interest in what was going on in, 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 in the trust and, and then eventually decided to step down for the association. But when I stepped down for the association, I never really got involved in any committees after that because... I felt as if I'd done my bit. Somebody it sucks a life out of you. You know, it's very demanding. Uh, if anybody's ever held these positions where, you know, people always want a bit of you and people always want to have a go at you and criticise. You get all the criticisms about things like, who does he think he is, fan spokesman, he doesn't speak for me and he doesn't do this. And you still hear that the now, but we never claim to speak for anybody other than our members. You know, we were a structured organisation, we were a democracy, we foreign policy based on delegates coming to meetings and taking views and things and we always tried to represent those views and, and we always spoke to those views. So we always only ever claimed to represent our own members. Uh, so I, 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 I suppose I had a bit of committee fatigue by the time I decided to step down for the association uh, and never really threw my hat in the ring with any other committee since. But I'm a keen activist and I, and I do keep in, in a support, certainly support the objectives of the trust. Uh, you know, in terms of what the trust are doing. I think uh, I have a real belief that we, the support, are what we are Celtic. Uh, you know, that how the club is structured and how it's run uh, will change over the years. But the one constant at Celtic is the supporters. The biggest investors in Celtic, emotionally, financially, of the supporters. And I think the ambition and the ideal of us being able to have a real meaningful say in the ownership of the club is a noble idea. And I really think we should be promoting that idea. Celtic were formed by a community, for a community. And I think it's only right that that community have a real stake, if you like, in the running of the club. Uh, we should own that club and the only way we can own it is for the, the combined support to pull their weight behind the trust at the moment. The supporters' trust are the only mechanism out there whereby we can make that happen. You know, and, and you know, if I could plea, and, and I know you've had a couple of pleas, and this is becoming like a bit of an advert for the trust, but if I could make a plea on this podcast, it would be for people to get in behind the trust in terms of what they're trying to achieve. Take the personalities away from it. It's not about personalities. It's not about Dermot Desmond or Peter Lowell or Neil Lennon or, you know, us as fan activists. It's not about that. It's about where we want to see ourselves in the future. And I think if any football club in the world deserves to be a community-owned club, then it's Celtic. And the only way that we can achieve that is by getting behind the objectives and the ideas of what it is the trust is trying to do. The mechanism's there for it. 
You listen to guys, I really impressed with listening to what David Lowe has been saying about, you know, trying to throw his weight in with the trust in recent years. And I have some real concerns, you know, in the Zoom meeting that David Lowe and the trust organ, Jeanette had organised for the trust a couple of weeks ago. What I took out of that meeting more than anything was when David Lowe had expressed concerns about how susceptible we are to a hostile takeover. I mean, if you look at how the club is structured at the moment, two major players... You have one shared guy sitting there with 34, 35% of the shareholding and another guy with 18%. If they were to throw their shares together and if one was to buy the other out, you've then got a majority shareholder in the club. Now, that was never meant to happen uh, after 1994. Uh, and that could, be, that could be aimed at that stage then deciding to you know, buy the club. It could be... You know, a financial institution who are only there for the money, who have no emotional investment whatsoever in Celtic. And we're really susceptible to that at the moment. And I'm not going to, I'm not saying that, you know, Nick Train or Dermot Desmond or anybody else is ready for, you know, putting down the shutters and selling up shop and leaving. But it can happen. It's not about the individuals. We're susceptible here. There's an opportunity that it could happen at some stage in the future. Then we need to be on our guard. We need to guard against that happening. And the only way we can guard against that happening is by us acquiring a significant enough stake in, you know, in, in the club ourselves. And the only way that that can happen is by the supporters and small shareholders to pool resources. And again, the mechanisms there and the trust for that. And, and, and I really think, you know, if this season's taught us anything, it should be that, that, you know, we can't let us go back to the days where, you know, we're susceptible to takeovers and we're, you know, we don't know who's running the club and we don't have a say. It was never the intention, I know, if Fergus McCann when he bought into the club and then when he sold up and left for that to be the case. And we need to, we're the, we're the real stakeholders in Celtic. And going forward, we need to ensure that we have a real meaningful say in how the club is run. And the only way we can do that is by supporting the trust. Yeah, Eddie, it's it's interesting. Like we 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 have had people on from we've Jeanette from the trust and Mark Boke also spoke about it. But when I was lining up the guests, like it was it's unbelievable. Like because you were supposed to be on a few weeks ago and it didn't happen. And you know if 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 the stars have aligned for Rangers with COVID, <laughs> uh, set, the the stars are certainly aligning now with the Celtic support because the Celtic trust has been a sleeping joint. In my opinion, um, undoubtedly, I, I, I think partly that you know they've struggled to the ideas, the original ideas of the trust have always been there, you know, and, and their ambition has always be you know running a fan led club. Uh, that that's always been the thing, but it's been knocked off the course a number of times by events and by circumstances. You know, they became a bit more campaigning, you know, because we had things like the Offensive Behaviour Act that appeared on the scene and uh, and, and, and and various sort of uh, you know other initiatives that, you know, that the trust led to the front on. Uh, and, and I suppose the whole idea of fan ownership and stuff like that at that stage was a bit waylaid uh, because there was things happening, you know, and the support were under attack for a number of... And, and the trust were at the forefront of the challenge and all of that. So they become more of a campaigning issue in some of the issues. But, but they're back focused and their heads back in the game in terms of their real ambition and it's about fan ownership and it's about club ownership. And, 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 and in some ways, maybe the stars have a line for that and... You know, this has been a crazy old season, you know, as I say, you know, I'm not being up in the season, but it has been a real tough season. And, and, and sometimes you need, it's in times of adversity that people's minds are focused, if you like, a wee bit uh, back on what the real issues are. Uh, and I suppose that's happened for us this season. Uh, so, 
yeah. With the meeting that took place online, um, technology now allows us to do that, Eddie, because before if there was a meeting, and no matter how well attended they were, it was a geography thing for a lot of people. They couldn't attend. No people from around the world who have, who have an emotional interest in Celtic or, or whole shares can now come to these meetings, which is amazing. Yeah. And then there's also, even when, when we had Jeanette on and then Mark, different people lift, would have listened to Mark's podcast. We, people, people would religiously listen to every podcast and then others would pop in and out, oh, I like this person or I like this player. I'll have a listen to that. But I noticed a comment today from Jim Green, and Jim's around a long time. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of respect for Jim. And Jim had commented after listening to the podcast with Mark that he had now been persuaded to join the Trust. And I would know that Jim would have sway with his club members to join. And I think if we can, if we can channel it all down now and get the message out there and, and get a lot more clubs on board, because I know, he's a, I know the Trust now has more followers on Twitter. I, don't, I know that doesn't mean... Like more people join the trust, but from speaking to people, they've they've now joined the trust. They now know the importance of the trust. And you must remember when the trust was set up twenty years ago, if you were twenty, you probably didn't have an interest in shares or the club. If when I was twenty, it was about going to games with your mates and getting drunk and having a good time, and hopefully, yeah. <laughs> you know, and hopefully whatever else goes. But yeah. yeah. you know, then people that are twenty. And now 40, then people that are 30, and now 50. You know, and, and if they have children, they want to leave something behind. They want, they want to play their part and leave the legacy behind that has a say in the running of the club. Because as season book holders, we don't have a say. We yeah. only rent them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so we, we, we need a real stake in the club. You know, you know, financially, we contribute as a support more to the club than anybody does. Any individual has ever done. The support contribute more. You know, we, we, we sustain the club. And we have done since its inception. It's been, you know, the, the supporters sustained the, 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 the Celtic as a football club forever. Uh, and they will forever as well. So, so it's only right that given that we are the biggest single, you know, financial stakeholders and the only emotional stakeholders, I think it's only right that we should have a say in how the club is run. Uh, and, and ultimately owned, we own the club. Celtic, Celtic is ours. As I said, as I said earlier, you know, we were, we were formed by the community, by our community, for our community, and it's only right that our community are on the club, I think. You know, now that's not about, you know, saying that, you know, Eddie Toner or Matt Burke or Jeanette Finlay or Andrew Millen should be in sitting on boardroom and making decisions and that. I'm not, no, nobody's saying that. But we should have the means and the wherewithal to, to decide how the club is run and what the objectives of the club are going to be. You know, there's a great wealth of knowledge amongst the Celtic support worldwide. A great wealth of knowledge. You know, the suggestion is, is that, oh, you can't have fans on the board. They don't have the, you know, they don't have the knowledge. They don't have the expertise. Bollocks. You know, there's a great wealth of knowledge out there. Uh, and you're quite, you, you know, and you hire that knowledge as well. You, you know, the fans on the club tomorrow will not be that we won't be. We'll still be employing chief executives. We'll still be, but we'll be employing them. You know, we'll be deciding who they are. We'll be determining our policy and how the club is run and and, and dictate, you know, everything for advertising and strips to the companies and what we want to deal with, everything. Uh, and and the only way that that can happen is, is if we do have a meaningful uh, stake in the club. I, I think the Blarney Pergams have a song, Eddie. I could be wrong. On Grander was it was a Celtic man, the album, and and I think it's called Field of Dreams. Yeah, but I could be wrong. But it's just something just sticking in my mind. And 
these dreams can be realised with the uh, Celtic is a huge support and it's a community throughout the world. And if we can all get together now and invest in shares in, in the club through the trust, we we can make this dream a reality. Maybe, you know, maybe not today or tomorrow, but down the road we can get stronger and stronger and stronger. Uh, absolutely. And I don't know who it was it says, you know, a road of a thousand miles always starts with a you know, it's with, with a first step, you know, a journey of a thousand miles. And and that's what we're taking it on my a lot of trust has been around a long time. You know, they're starting to accumulate shares again, you know, the membership is is growing. People are subscribing, which in turn, you know, bring generates more cash. You generate more cash, you're then able to harvest and buy in more shares. And, and it gives you more and more of your profile and more and more of your, I mean, if we say people have got to sit up and take notice. And, 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 and it's the only way forward for us. If the aspiration is, is that, we, that we believe that we should own our club, the only way it's going to happen is by acquiring enough shares to make that happen. And we need to do that. And it, it might take, it might not happen in my lifetime, but we need to keep moving towards that objection, uh, ob- objective. And the only way we're going to move towards that objective is by continuing to accumulate, uh, you know, a, you know, a big enough shareholding in the club. And, and if that means buying them, again, I think, you know, was it David Lowe who used the figure that, you know, you know I think of 50,000 people where you throw in a tenner a month, subscribe a tenner a month, we could almost generate something like six million pound in shares fairly quickly. Uh, you know, and you know, you start to talk about some serious money then and acquiring a serious stake in the club and people will then need to take it serious. So but it but it requires people to get behind it. It requires individuals to say, you know, you know, in actual fact that ideal's right. It's no pie in the sky. It may seem like pie in the sky, but it's no and throw the hat in the ring with us and you know. and, and it suits some people's agenda as well that it is to, to create that oh, that'll never happen, that's point in the sky. Anything is possible. Eddie, because when I was, I suppose, I started Folly and Celtic, they were quite good. We had a satinary season. I started going, we became not so good. And I never for once imagined at the stadium we have now, we would win a treble. You know, not three in a row or four in a row, but a treble. <laughs> and I certainly never thought I would get to a European final. And I got to Seville and... We had we all had a ball. And we behaved ourselves, and you went then, Eddie, to pick up the award. And I want to ask you a question: Why did you not put a suit on? <laughs> I'm often asked that question. My suit was lost in transit. Uh, it was a bizarre story. I flew to Basel. The, the awards were in Basel, uh, so it was the FIFA awards, uh, and we flew out to Basel. So a bit like the Ballon d'Or awards at the moment, that type of event it was. Uh, and I flew. It with Peter Lowell, company Peter Lowell to Basel. Uh, we were out there for three days. And we flew from Glasgow to London Heathrow and then from Heathrow on to Basel. Uh, one and only time I've ever flown first class in my life, to be honest. And <laughs> FIFA, FIFA paid for it all. So it was, it was, it was, it was an interesting, bizarre experience. But, uh, but they lost my luggage in transit. Uh, so I, I arrived at this five-star hotel, this big, glitzy, glamorous thing with we, we, we no suit. Uh, and there was a guy at the time, what was his name? Was it David? David Will. He was on the FIFA committee at the time from the SFA. I think it was David Will. Mm. Had heard about my predicament and decided that I should get a suit and that FIFA would take me for a suit. So I was dispatched out with this chauffeur and sitting in the back of this big limousine and then it was sent to downtown Basel to try and acquire a suit. 
And I was a bit concerned at that time about who was actually going to pay for the suit because I wasn't there wash with cash. And this guy appeared and we could only have been the sort of a designer, sort of a top designer shop. So he was taking me into all these sort of a sh- shops to look at suits. Uh, they were like three and four thousand pounds, you know, it was all Hugo Boss this or something like that. They were all labels, you know. And I was a bit more rotund in those days. Have you probably seen the pictures? So I, I, I wasn't really primed for getting in and getting a suit off the peg. But I went in and, you know, was trying suits on and could not fit me because, basically because I was a bit, <laughs> I was a bit fat. Uh, so I, I needed some adjustments done in it. And now this was the day of the ceremony. The ceremony was later on that evening, uh, sort of early evening. Uh, and I'm downtown trying to buy this suit. And I'm looking at the price and thinking, well, I need to put this on my credit card. Or is this guy, the chauffeur guy, got a FIFA credit card to pay for this suit? And he eventually established that they were going to pay for the suit. So was he in warming to the 3,000 Google Bot suits then because I might have been getting it for nothing? <laughs> but, uh, but I couldn't get one to fit me. So they, then, they, they, they eventually said, hey, we can get a tailor to do some adjustments, amend the suit for you, alter it for you. He says, but the only problem is it won't be ready till tomorrow. And I says, well, that's no good. You know, I need it for tonight. They said, I mean, he's tonight. no, 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 we can't do it. And so my chance of getting a, a free suit at FIFA's expense went out the window. And, and at that point, I got back to the hotel. I couldn't get anything to fit me. And I uh, had a bit of a chat with Peter about it. And, I, and, you know, and I then had a bit of a light bulb moment. I says, you know what? I'm there representing the fans. I'm receiving the award as a fan. So I should just go and what I've... I had no choice to be honest. The only car I had was my jeans and my shirt, but this time it's starting to smell a bit. I had them on for two days. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I decided just to go with what I was wearing. And, and, and you know, I, I had a bit of anxiety about it at first. But I got there and it was a bizarre ceremony. You know, I arrived into this big, huge conference centre and I was met. And I said, OK, you're the award recipient. What's your name? I said, my name's Eddie Tone and I'm here representing the Celtic support. Ah, OK, so you're on the front. Just make your way down to the front, he says. And, uh, your name will be on your seat. So I goes down in his jeans in that shop. And I'm looking as I go along, he says, just look for your name. And so I started passing these uh, names. So it says, Ronaldo, Henri, Zidane, Tona. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, my God. This is... So right at the very front row, you know, and there I planks myself down in that seat. And the seat next to me had the name Lundberg on it. And then in comes in Ronaldo, the Brazilian Ronaldo, no Cristiano, the Brazilian the centre forward, he comes in and takes his seat and Zinedine Zidane takes his seat and Terry on me, so they're all sitting next to me and Zinedine Zidane says, ah, I like to see you, because they were suited and he says, I feel more comfortable if I was dressed like you, he says, you're here representing the fans like a fan, so I was, I was a bit more reassured, so he, he went out his way, Zinedine Zidane sort of a made me feel a bit more at ease with myself in, in, in my attire because he says he would much prefer being dressed like that as well. And uh, But the funny thing about that night, then this woman then came in and sat in the seat to my left that was here, the, the name Lundberg on it. And, and I, me being me, being an eternal, you know, sort of organiser says, excuse me, I think you're in the wrong seat. That's for Freddie Lundberg. And she says, no, my name is Hannah Lundberg, she says, and I'm a nominee for to be the best female football player in the world. <laughs> so I felt really stupid at that point, you know, because I thought it was Freddie Lundberg and it was this woman called Hannah Lundberg, who never won. I think she ended up being second in the, in the award. But, uh, so I made a bit of an ass of that, you know. But, uh, but it was bizarre. So I eventually then gets called up to, to accept this award, you know. And 
just as I go into stage, a wee guy says to me, can I just remind you that this is going out live in 39 countries around the world, you know, so it's sort of my knees went a bit like jelly at that point, because I had to go up and make a speech, and, but it was fine, you know, I went up, no suit, accepted the award, I get pelters for them Celtic support, I came out, look at the stadium, he's up there trying to represent us, and he's dressed like a tramp, and all that sort of stuff, and there was a whole debate again, you know, there's you know, social media probably wasn't quite as poisonous then as it is now, but uh, but uh, no, I got slaughtered for it, and it was through no fault of my own. But the interesting thing was, after they walked, we, we went into the, it was a sort of a ceremony backstage, if you like, but after it. And I was standing talking to Terry on me and Zinedine Zidane, and all of a sudden Zidane looks over and nods at these people, and they appeared, we could only be described as like, doctor's surgery, you know, the screens you see in doctor's surgery, just pop behind the screens and take your shirt off or something like that. These screens were put round Zinedine Zidane and he came out in his suit and changed into a pair of jeans and a shirt and stuff like that. And he says, I, I told you, I feel much more relaxed now. And so this happened in the middle of this conference. It was bizarre. It was like, you know, it's, the whole thing was all just a bit surreal. And then after the ceremony, we went to it, there was a match at Basel's Stadium. Uh, and it was a bad, it was a, I think it was Terry Henry selection, and a, I think it was David Beckham had selected the other team. So they were all there, all the superstars were there. And, but it was where being a Celtic supporter really hit home for me because again, they lift at Basel Stadium. So we're all taking air show for driven, you know. And at Basel Stadium, you drive underneath the, the stadium, and there's a lift takes you up to the sort of hospitality suite. And I was in the lift, and the, this guy says to me, Oh, you are Mr. Celtic supporter, you come with me, he says, and uh, and I'm looking at this, I don't know who this guy is, you know. And he, no, you come with me, he says, uh, I would like to you know, introduce myself. And he took us into this room, and it was basically the boardroom at FC Basel. And he, and he was the chairman of Basel. He says, this is our stadium. He says, and I have fun now. Because if you remember, we played in the stadium just the, the, the season before. He says, I have great memories, and the town have great memories of the Celtic fans, and I would just like to thank you. And he poured me a glass of whiskey. And uh, and it was it was just an amazing thing. So, so you know, because again of the reputation of the Celtic support, there was me getting, you know, getting noticed and getting attention for this guy. And it was a really nice moment, you know, that he really, really he says the, the, the people of Basel still have very fond memories of Celtic being here. Uh, and, and he just wanted to acknowledge that. So it was a nice touch. And, and then we went up and watched the game and back to the hotel. And when I got back to the hotel that night after the match, in order for formalities, there was my suitcase with my suit lying on top of my bed. It had been delivered <laughs> to the hotel by British Airways three days later. Yeah, that was the story. The it, it, it's funny, Eddie, that when you, when you tell the story about Bal picking the wall up in Bal and going to the stadium, that was the stadium we left gutted that we weren't yeah. going to be in the Champions League. Yeah, but out the Champions Little did we know what run we were going to go on in the absolutely. No, uh, uh, absolutely, it was bizarre. And a great, great memory coming home that time again and again, I get, uh, you know, I get, and thanks to the reputation of the Celtic support, I'm sitting flying, so the next day, first coming back first class. You keep uh, saying that, yeah. Yeah, so because I've never done it before, I probably never never will, you know, and and, and the guy across to me says, oh, and he looks at me and he says, uh, Oh, you! I seen you at the award last night. Uh, you know, represent Celtic, Celtic support as well, and stuff like that. Night, and, and again, 
had a glass of wine with him in the flight back and a bit of a chin wag about, you know, the Celtic support in general. And it was just, he just made you really proud. And, I, and again, I was I was really fortunate that I got the opportunity. That award was won by the, the Celtic support. It was, you know, it was, a, it was a great nod to their reputation. And I was just a lucky one that happened to be in a position at the time that I was able to go and, and, and accept the award on behalf of the support. But it gave me some great memories and some great stories, you know, and it was, and it was, it was just all a bit surreal, you know. It was, uh, but, well, I remember when you picked it up, Eddie, and I remember saying, fair play to Eddie. You know, he's representing <laughs> the <laughs> I did. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I got slaughtered by some for, for no wearing a suit, but... <laughs> ah, look, Eddie, you'll, you'll, you'll always be Eddie from the pub in Glasgow. You know, you'll never be this yeah, big, yeah. big celebrity. So, what <laughs> it was meant to be, and, like, I can't believe, I didn't realise... Like, I probably did at the time, but didn't realise that the award was presented in Bath, and, and and that's where the dream ended and started. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, it was fantastic. It was great. Now, before we're talking about great memories, I have an imaginary time machine, and I like to take, I like to finish up the the podcast with taking you into giving you my time machine, and you can go back in time. What sticks out, Eddie? Is there a memory that sticks out, or a moment, or a match, or in, in all the years since you were. Uh, Born into Celtic, ball boy to Ballon d'Or. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, for me, I'm asked this question often, and it's always 1979 when I've mean, so many. You know, you know, Kieran Kenny. Kieran Kenny's a great friend of mine, and Kieran's always going on about your top five. Give me your top five, this and and in my top five, it's it's changed a couple of times recently. The Invincible Treble, you know, the Tom Rogic moment has now slipped into my top five moments. Uh, my first victory away in Europe uh, in Amsterdam in, in, in 82 sticks out. Uh, Love Street 86 was a day, the whole run towards Love Street in 86 and clinching the title on the last day will, will remain with me forever. But as a 16-year-old in the jungle, 10 men win the league. I could go back to that day every week. It would be like, they transported me in your time machine back in football. But we get down early again, as I say, we, you know, we were fortunate that, you know, because of the, the connections we, we got in and, and I was there with a big pal of mine, Davy Stewart, uh, and Davy's still a friend of mine to this day. Uh, we were down almost straight from school, I think, down at my granny's, get a bowl of soup and a bit of dinner and then down to the game. Allowed in just before the turnstiles opened, so I think we were probably the first two in the jungle that night and took our position where we all, you know, stood and... And being in the jungle that night and just, you know, the, the ups and the abs are roller coaster day and night, you know, because we needed to win and, and they only needed a draw probably in, 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 in the pinch the title in the next game. Uh, came down to 10 men, you know, and then, you know, and just the whole experience. And I remember when we scored the third goal, gone berserk. It was a Colin Jackson own goal. Uh, and this big guy next to me, I bury a man. I was only 16 at the time, young boy, and I was... And he says, calm down, young fella. He says, we're no over the line yet. And I says, oh, we are over the line, you know. And he says, no, no, just calm down, calm down. And then, you know, just coming in towards the end of the game, Murdo McLeod hits a scream off the, I don't know, 25 yards. People could talk about 40, 50. I think every time that story was told, McLeod get further out. But I think he was probably 22, 23 yards out. And the ball flies into the net. And this big berry, a man nearly crushed the life out of me. He said, we're over a lane now, we man, and that's it. And he was fucking squeezing me and squeezing me. And so if you could take me by a game, it would be that night. We came out the game that night and wandered along the Gallagher. There used to be a pub in the Gallagher, uh, the club bar. It was owned by Johnny Boner, famous Celtic goalkeeper for the 50s. Johnny Boner was the goalkeeper in the Coronation Cup final and stuff like that. And his son 
ran and we worked behind the bar in the club. Now, we were only 16, but me and Davey went in and said, we're going to get a pint for the celebrations. And we went in and two pints of lager. And we got them and we were, you know, over the moon and, you know, it's just on such a buzz. And uh, Davey's thing just across the road to where the club bar was. It was new houses that were just built in the Gallagher, just behind uh, where the bingo was. And uh, we were back to Davey's house and stayed and ate a couple of pints. A great sing song in the club bar that night as well. We got up the next morning and we said, well, Mum, we'll go back around see if we can get another pint, and, <laughs> you know, in the club. So, see if the party's still... So we, we, we headed back and, and then we're way over to the bar. There's a bit of spare ground at the corner of Belgrove Street and the Gallagher, just where the flats are now, but it was a bit of spare ground there. And this car came flying around the corner and it was David Proven was driving the car, who'd obviously played the night before. And we were oh, Davey, and he stopped to speak to us and we're just in such a high. And we went into the pub, two pints of lager, and the guy went, piss off. <laughs> I know you just said last night, he says, but last night was a special night. Come back in a couple of years' time because there's no way he's anywhere near 18, so we get chucked to again. So that bus will bubble a wee bit. But if I could go back to any Celtic night, it would be that one for me every time. Brilliant, Daddy. Brilliant. It's been an absolute pleasure. We have a cup final now to look forward on Sunday. But fortunately, we won't be there, but we'll be there in spirit. Yeah, 100% we'll be there in spirit. And I think, you know, Celtic supporters over the world are just new. I've hated this season. Uh, whether we've been playing well or no, it's just been mentally it's driving me mad. You know, having to watch games on streams and fix computers and deal with all the technology. I'm not the most gifted in that sense. And it's it's been, it's a real struggle for me. I'm really, really toiling with this season, to be honest. The way I can't follow games. I have to be at games. So there's nothing beats being there with your family or your mates. And even just following how a, a game develops and flows, you, you just get a real sense. I got annoyed at Gordon Strachan yesterday in his summary of the game at the end. He says, and I love listening to me Strachan talking about us and we, and he really gets it. But there was a bit yesterday where he was talking about the game. He says, and it's the sort of things you see where you only have to be live at the game, you know, and I thought, I rub it in me, man, you know. It's that. Yeah. And it's funny, Eddie, Michal, one of the ladies, he's originally from Manon, but he lives out the road with me and he, he came in today to, to pick up uh, fanzines. Yeah. And I call, I, I, he collects all the issues, so I had some back issues for him. And I hadn't seen him in ages. And we got talking about the players that have come in in, in the recent games. And we spoke about Sorrow. And I said to him, can you imagine being at the game and being able to watch them off the ball? Yeah, absolutely. That's those type of things. But but it got me thinking earlier today. As I said, we were out shopping today, and I did buy the green shirt for my, my, my cup final outfit. If you like, I wasn't I wasn't going, but I ended up. I, I did, and uh, just you know, I've got this picture now. Celtic fans tuning in all around the world, you know, trying to watch, which really an, an unprecedented historic moment. It'll never happen again in our lifetime. You know, you talked about wanting to see a treble. You never ever thought we would do one. Here we are going for four in a row, you know. And, and as, despite what else has happened this season, the focus has to be on Hamden at the weekend and everything, you know. And it's going to be, we can't influence the team the way that we would normally. And I heard, Lennon making reference to that today about, you know, we're probably affected more than any other club we, you know, fans know being behind us. And there's something about that that rings right with me because, I, I, you know, we are the 12th man, we are special, you know, and but we need to be focused on what's happening on Sunday and how historic it is and how positive it is. And there'll be no negativity for me, for, for, for me about this. We, we really need to be focused on getting this cup over the line and and the manager will pick the team that he's going to pick. I know he made some reference yesterday about, you know, 
there's guys got us there and, and he was maybe thinking about getting you know, a nod to them. I think sentimentality might need to get the windy. We have to stick with a winning team, in my, uh, my opinion. Uh, I don't see how he can leave Turnbull and Sorrow out the midfield at the moment. I can understand. I think the ideal scenario for me would be to go with the team that we've been, it's won as the last couple of games and look reasonably comfortable. Catch two or three goals up, and if it means Scott Brown getting on the last 10, 15 minutes so that he can go up and lift that trophy again, you know, there's no, no more deserving captain than Scott Brown to be able to be in a position to do that. And I would need that, that would be the ideal scenario for me. But no matter who Lennon picks, we need to be, everything needs to be focused at the moment on this final. It's a historic moment, it's never happened before, it'll never happen again. I don't certainly know in my lifetime, you know. This is an unprecedented error of success in that regard. You know, finish it. It would have been nice to, to have finished it properly last season and was all celebrating the nine in a row. I grew up in nine in a row and I never ever thought I'd see it happen again. Really deflated when when the nine in a row was matched by our rivals. Uh, really knocked the stuffing out of me. But for us then to go back and reclaim that was fantastic. Ten in a row would mean the world to me. But four trebles. Uh, uh, you know, on the bounce. So as I say, I grew up chasing treble. They did have two in my early days, but I don't really remember much about them. Uh, it's my first cup final. It was a treble season in 69, but, uh, you know, it was only six at a time and I didn't have firm thought. No great memories of how you would go about celebrating it and they probably didn't appreciate the enormity of that because we were winning European Cups then and we were getting to the last four and we were up there. Martin O'Neill's treble was fantastic. The treble, uh, the invincible treble, Tom Rogic. Uh, that cup final sticks out with me because I remember, for, for personal reasons as well, I was there with my niece that day and, uh, and got a bit emotional that day because I was there with my, my, my brother's daughter, you know, and he would have loved to have been there. He would have loved this runner, you know, success and stuff like that. And uh, So that, that meant a lot to me that day, but every cup final, Cups have got to be won. They've got to be. You got to earn. You can't just turn up and win cup finals. I loved Scottish Cup final game when I was a kid. I've loved it as an adult. I'm looking forward to Sunday. It won't be the same, but we'll get up and we'll get our cup final outfits on. We'll get the tunes on. We'll pour up, you know, a couple of drinks, and we'll put everything into supporting the team the only way that we can. And please God, we get it over the line. And you know, and if Scott Brown's a man who got left that cup, I think there's no, no more deserving captain. So, yes, I'm looking forward to it. And we'll everybody should be. Valeri, we leave it at that. Thank you so much for letting us into your Celtic soul. It's been brilliant. And the podcast to me has been a bit of a lifesaver uh, since Absolutely. we kicked it off in June because I get to speak to people that I normally speak to outside the ground or that I met over the years, with the exception maybe of, of some of the players and coaches that are Celtic. But it's just been brilliant. And today has been no different. And I'm sure the listeners will enjoy it. No, it's been a pleasure, Andrew. Thanks a lot. And pass on your happy birthday on you. I know Sandra had a big celebration there recently, so pass on my regards there. No seen her for a few years. I will indeed, Eddie. Thank you so much. Hail, hail. Pleasure. Cheers, mate. All the best. Good luck. It's been a long time since I had such a long chat with Eddie. The last time I remember was many years ago at the Brother Walford Monument Lounge in Ballymouth, County Sligo, when we were both lucky to spend the weekend in the company of the Lisbon Lions and the late great Sean Fallon. Weekends like that don't happen too much and I cherish all the memories of having the chance to listen to all those Celtic legends over that weekend. Thanks to everyone who took out subscriptions recently, folks, and throughout the year. Everyone now should have the free T-shirt on the latest issue and without your support, folks, uh, we wouldn't be able to do the print edition without match day sales. So thank you so much. 
And don't forget, it's not too late for a little Christmas present. You mightn't get the T-shirt in the post before Christmas, but look, Christmas will be over and you'll still have 12 issues to get next season. Thanks also to everyone who bought T-shirts and merchandise off us during the year. If you want to support us, you can visit the online shop there and you'll have a look at our T-shirts, merch and bits and pieces. Each episode of the podcast, we throw out a special offer for the listeners. This episode, if you buy a T-shirt, we'll throw in a selection of badges and stickers. As always, thanks very much to my producer, Ronan McQuillan, who will be actually singing us out today after some peer pressure. So, folks, if you like what we are doing and you would like to support us, you can do so by visiting CelticFanzine.com, where you can become a member, subscribe, buy or donate for the price of a pint. We promise no unwanted adverts on our website or in our articles and no unwanted advert interruptions on a podcast. Keeping it real and keeping it independent. Your support helps us to continue to produce quality, independent fan journalism, podcasts, videos, live events, and of course the fanzine. But don't worry if you're not in a position to financially support us. We will still deliver the same quality content to all fans free. Don't forget to download our app, that's free too, and you'll have access to the podcast, articles, daily news, video, info on upcoming events, the fanzine, and everything from our online shop, or the touch of a button on your phone or tablet. All episodes of the podcast are now available on all platforms, so hit the subscribe or follow button and you'll never miss an episode. The podcast is also available now on our YouTube channel, Celtic Fanzine TV. Don't forget to give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And thanks again to our episode sponsor, Perth Celtic Supporters Club down in Australia. Thanks very much, boys, for the continued support of the fanzine and now the podcast. If you want to check out the Supporters Club, we'll stick in their details in the podcast description. If your business or Celtic Supporters Club like what we're doing with the podcast and would like to become a sponsor, please email us at info at and you can also contact us through the website or message us on social media. Keep all the comments coming in and suggestions for guests and here's a few from the last episode with Mark Borg. Great podcast, bringing back some brilliant memories. I was 15 and a member of the club when all this happened and was proud to have been a guest of the new board at the Motherwell game. We were shite that day but we all knew better days were coming. Sean O'Farrell, now living in Philadelphia, but a proud dub. Another excellent episode. Definitely worth trying to get David Law on for a chat. Mick Gavin. Mick, we will reach out to David and get him onto the show, hopefully. Thanks for the suggestion. Well worth listening to what Mark had to say. Brought back good memories from the Celtics for Change campaign and the meeting in Dundalk. And interesting to hear how the Celtic Trust is rapidly growing in numbers. Definitely going to join. And that comes from Tyrone Celtic Supporters Club up in Tyrone there. Fair play, boys and girls, and it's great that you're joining up at the Celtic Trust. Interesting to know that Fergus was reluctant to see Dermot Desmond gain a majority shareholding. I remember this share issue as Fergus' farewell present. Many at the time were happy to see the back of him, myself included. Jer Brady, Nave Park, oh boy. Thoroughly enjoyed this interview. It was fascinating insight into the early days of supporting the boys in Ireland and how it was in the era of the old board of paradise. As many Celtic fans as possible should join the Celtic Fans Trust. It's a highly impressive pressure group. And that comes from a regular contributor to the podcast, Tony Ratton in Sunderland. Great interview with Mark Borg. We always got on, but never always agreed on things. But for once, he's just convinced me to join the Celtic Trust. He eloquently puts things regarding the Celtic Trust in the interview. Takes confusion out of it. Jim Green and Monaghan. That's another club joining up. Fair play. The Paul Johnson Club up in Monaghan. Well, folks, it's been a pleasure chatting to fans, players and a few well-known, I suppose, celebrities from movies, TV and the sporting world since we kicked off the podcast to get us through the lockdown back in the summer. 
With no plans to record over the festive period, this will be the last planned episode until the new year. But if we get bored eating and drinking, loads of points, we might just record something. So this weekend we have a cup final to look forward to and a chance of that historical quadruple treble. Unbelievable if we can achieve it. I hope and pray to set a lift the Scottish Cup on Sunday. It's going to be strange not being a Hamden, but we will be all there in spirit. And what a way to start the Christmas festivities after such a year. But Merry Christmas to all our listeners and readers, and a special mention to all the frontline workers who will be still walking over the festive period, and a special mention to the Debenham workers who will still be on the picket line on Christmas Day. We want to lend our support to musicians and songwriters out there who have been hit the hardest by the lockdown restrictions, with no gigs, no venues, and I suppose no money. Send your material into us and we'll give you a plug in the new year and we'll play out of each show. Ronan, our producer, has been away from the stage for too long and he's brought the guitar into the studio today to play us out with a tune called Maybe Christmas. Maybe this Christmas. Maybe this Christmas. Folks, I'll post up Ronan's details of his band, The Enemies, on the podcast description. Check them out. And I just want to say a very special Merry Christmas to Ronan. And he's, you can't see him, but he's dressed in a lovely Christmas T-shirt today. And look, he may not have been on stage this year because of the lockdown. And this is a guy that's toured America and has been over in the Middle East gigging before the lockdown. And that. So, you know, I know what he's been through this year, but he put the time to good use and he just sent in his thesis for his master's degree in music technology. So how lucky am I to have a producer? Not just can play a song, but also can produce this podcast. And Because believe me, the sum of the shite I give him with the Zoom meeting doesn't be great. And he turns it in, well, he turns it into something that sounds really, really good. So folks, stay tuned, stay safe, keep the faith and have a very Merry Christmas. And take it away, Ronan. Maybe this Christmas will mean something more Maybe this year love will appear Deeper than ever before And maybe forgiveness will ask us to call Someone we love or someone we've lost For reasons we can't quite recall Maybe this Christmas And maybe there'll be an open door Maybe the star that shone before Will shine once more shine once more and maybe this Christmas will find us at last in heavenly peace grateful at least for the love we've been shown in the past mm-hmm. maybe this Christmas mm-hmm. maybe this Christmas 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.